Hello, welcome to episode 16 of the Talk Witchcraft podcast, and I'm talking about witchcraft using herbs in your witchcraft practice, so in magical workings and in rituals. We talked about crystals last week, so I thought we could kind of turn this into like a series of different materials that you can use. So I'm going to talk about herbs, why we might use herbs in, in witchcraft, and the definition, because you know I love definitions and also some ways that you can use witchcraft in your practice based on how I use them, because that's where I have experience. So we'll get right into it. You're listening to Talk Witchcraft, the podcast where we talk about witchcraft as a lifestyle and discover how to merge magic into your daily life. Every week, we'll demystify witchy topics like tarot, astrology, crystals, herbs, and more as you develop your personal brand of magic and create the life of your dreams. I'm your host, Maggie Hazeman. So we talked a little bit about this last week with the crystals, but we're talking about herbs. So as a reminder, in episode seven, I walked through the steps that I like to take for casting a spell. And I just find it really helpful to have a structure like that that I can follow. Um, so if you haven't listened to that episode, I think it's probably the most, it seems like it's the most popular, the most downloaded so far on the Talk Witchcraft podcast. Um, but in that, I talk about how step three is about the materials. So things like crystals, like we talked about last week, and herbs, like we're talking about today, and how we select these things based on step one, which is where you determine the purpose of your spell, and step two, which is where you think about the correspondences that you want to interact with or correspond with. So those are um, beings or entities or energies that live in the spirit realm, like the four elements, uh, any deity that you work with, any um, thing like that, abstract concepts, the zodiac signs, the planets, they all live in the spirit realm. So you choose your materials based on those first two steps. And we have the tangible materials like the herbs and the crystals, talking about herbs today. And you have your intangible materials like color and symbols. And hopefully we'll have a chance to talk about those in future episodes. And when you have these things that are visible and tangible, or you know you can see or hold them in the physical realm, it gives your mind something to focus on, and that anchors your thoughts in the physical. Um, it brings that mental energy into the physical. It brings the corresponding spirit energy into the physical, and that's the whole point. That's why we want to have these uh, physical representations of that energy. So again, we have these physical representations in the herbs, and that is just anchoring that mental energy, the corresponding spirit energy into the physical realm, and that begins um, the manifestation process. So I, you probably know by now that I really like definitions. I think we have all of these different words for very specific reasons. Why would we have so many different words if they didn't have a specific purpose? So um, the the problems that arise sometimes is when two different people use the same word to describe different things, or when two different people use different words to describe the same thing. So I just want to go through my personal definition for a couple of words, specifically herb in this case, um, so that we're all on the same page. You might have different ways to, to talk about this. You might want to be more precise with your language, because as with crystals, where I use that as an all-encompassing umbrella term for minerals and rocks and um, crystals, I use the word herb, and many witches do as well, 
to be an all-encompassing umbrella term for different types of plants as well as different plant parts. Using this one word herb to describe not only you know trees and shrubs and flowers and herbaceous plants but also the different parts of the plant like the bark or the leaves or the the fruit and the flowers and the seeds and the um, roots and the stems I think that's all the parts um, so using this one word herb to encompass all of that so we don't run out of breath before we finish listing all those things so I do want to be a little bit of a plant nerd for a little bit because I don't have very many opportunities to share my botany knowledge. I did my undergrad and it was very heavy in plant um, stuff, so plant ID and botany and things like that. So I want to just share kind of the botanical level of what these words mean and then kind of come back to that witchy, you know, herb word. So let's get into the botany usage of these words. An herb is shorthand, the word herb is botanically used as shorthand for herbaceous plant. And an herbaceous plant in this context, in the botanical context, refers to any plant that has leaves and stems and no woody parts. So trees and shrubs are woody, but an herbaceous plant is anything that does not have that woody part. So it could, be, it could refer to grasses as well. The other part of an herbaceous plant is that it dies down to soil level or just above soil level each growing season, depending on where you live. Places like here, Florida, there's not really a growing season. It's kind of all year round, so it's not quite as um, quite the same, but generally that's the case. And then there's three different types of herbs. Perennial herbs are any plants that grow back year after year from the underground plant body, so the roots remain alive after each growing season and then a new plant comes up from those roots like chamomile. An herb can also be biennial and that's pretty rare. Plants that are biennial are more rare. Um, that means that they take two growth cycles before they create, drop their seeds or create that reproductive flowering part. And so carrot is an example of a biennial, not the cultivated but like a wild carrot. Also I think wild onions are parsley. Biennial just means two growth seasons, and then annual is one growth season. So after each growth season, growing cycle, it will create the seeds, and those will drop, and the new plant will grow from the seeds. So those are all different ways that a, an herb can be. But again, as I mentioned, an herb would include all of these, and also things like trees, which are single-stemmed plants, I mean, you all know what a tree is, but <laughs> single-stem, woody material, high branching part, so the branches are high above the ground, um, and then a shrub, which is many stems, woody, and tend to stay lower to the ground, so they don't branch as high up in, this, in the sky, in the air. Um, and then again, it's an herb also covers like the bark of a tree, so cinnamon is the bark of a tree, and, or shrub. Um, cinnamon comes from a tree, but it's also the bark of shrubs, would be considered an herb in terms of witchcraft. The seeds of a fruit or the actual fruit, the flowering body, so the, the flower part, like chamomile as an, an example, or lavender, you use the flowering part. Um, the leaves, which is when you think of herb in a culinary term, herbs are tend to be the leaf part, so like fla um, parsley or basil or rosemary or thyme, those, you all, those are all considered herbs in a culinary sense, and they are the leaves. 
but also the roots of the plant are used are called considered herbs in witchcraft. So uh, if you use potatoes in something like kitchen witchery, or if you use let's see mandrake or ginger, those are all a roots um, part that we are most likely used, and the stems as well are part of the herb thing. And any adaptation. So some plants, all plants have stem root. Um, flower leaves, but some plants have these adaptations. So a spine on like a cactus, which can be used for protection, um, because that's what it's used for in the plant. It's the an ad it's an adapted leaf. So the spine is actually the leaf of the cactus. Um, and then things like tubers, like I mentioned before, potatoes. That's an adaptation where the plant is storing energy in there. So potato is a really good example of something to use in an energy spell because that is the purpose of it in the plant. And that's a really good way to figure out what um, what to use these different plant parts for is how the plant used it. What was it used for in the plant? And that's how you can incorporate it into your magic as well. Um, so those are, all of those things are incorporated into this umbrella term herb, even though it's not botanically correct necessarily or culinarily correct. But we as witches, we can use herbs in many different ways, whether you're cooking with them, so with kitchen witchery, or using them for healing, um, like with herbalism as a branch of herb magic, using plants for their healing properties. Fragrance with like aromatherapy can be a type of witchcraft, um, using them for clothing, making, you know, your clothes are out of cotton or, or wool or things like that, um, which is not a plant part, so forget I said that. <laughs> um, but then also plants are sacred in other ways as well, depending on your culture and your belief system. And then I also want to remind you of the neutrality of magic and how this can be seen in the use of herbs and magic, because we use herbs like, I've mentioned chamomile several times, but things like dandelions and, and parsley, these are all generally considered like safe. You can eat them, they won't harm your body, they often have some sort of medicinal benefit as well, so there's this positive idea of them it, um, in terms of like healing. Uh, but also plants like belladonna and henbane are used, and those are considered toxic and could be potentially deadly or at least harmful, um, but they still have some sort of value in terms of witchcraft. So even if a plant might hurt us, it still is beneficial, and that's just a reminder that magic is neutral. There's no good or bad plants, just as there's no good or bad magic. We, have, we can get this magical wisdom from a plant um, whether it will harm us or heal us. And as long as we treat them with respect and with care and we learn about them and we don't do anything stupid, then we can, you know, gain that insight. We can learn from the plants in that way. So um, I have, in my experience, I found that herbalism and using herbs in magic is one of the most hands-on forms of magic. When you think about things like crystals, like last week we talked about crystals, the way that they're used tends to be a little bit more passive. The crystal, you charge it, and then it just changes the energy field around you or in your environment just by sitting there. <laughs> you can carry it around with you and it'll alter your energy field. You can you know, meditate with it, um, but it's a little bit more passive. The crystal doesn't change its form to use it, but with herbs, you do a lot of transformation with them in the magical working. So you almost always do some sort of transformation, whatever you're doing. 
So you might be burning the herb, like if you make a wish with a bay leaf, you you can write a wish on the bay leaf and then you burn it and that releases the wish. Or when you're doing some sort of smoke cleansing, you'll have a bundle of herbs and you'll burn them. You might bake them or cook them in kitchen witchery. You might dry them, which is a transformation, um, and then use them dry to crumble them over a candle or something like that. You might cut them as part of the ritual. So you're going to do some sort of transformation pretty much anytime you use herbs. There's probably times where you might not do a transformation. But even when you communicate with the plant spirit while it's you know still a living plant, you haven't harvested the the parts of the plant. It's, you know, you're talking with the plant or you're meditating with the plant, talking to your garden or or whatever. You still can observe these changes, these transformations in the plant, even from a day-to-day basis. Um, like we just planted trees in our backyard and it's really fun to be able to see each day how it changes. And I've been actually taking pictures so that I can create like a, a slideshow and see how it changes. Hopefully over the course of the year it changes a lot um, and I can see it visibly. But even each day you can see as the buds, you know, they appear and then they open and you got these little baby leaves and they slowly grow. Um, You can see that each day. So that's, plants are one of the um, easiest way to see that life cycle happening because they don't move around like an animal does (laughs) and rocks take so long to um, develop. So, you know, a human can't necessarily see the changes of a rock as it's forming. Um, but because there's so much versatility, there's you know 300 over 300,000 different species of plants. It can be really overwhelming to begin working with plants, and because there's so much complexity involved in it, that I know that it is sort of overwhelming. Which is why when I first started practicing witchcraft, I sort of listed out top 10 purposes of what one might do with their witchcraft practice. So things like banishing and and healing and opening, like opening your heart, opening your mind. So all these different purposes. And then I just studied, you know, researched and studied and found different herbs that could fit into each of those categories. I tried to come up with a well-rounded list where I had different herbs that covered different planetary correspondences or zodiac correspondences. And um, so each one in the list relates to these different spirit entities and these different topic or um, categories purposes. I'm going to put that on the blog, mumblesandthings.com slash blog slash 016, and you can find show notes as well, so it's sort of like a transcript of what I'm talking about. And then you can look at my list, these top 10 herbs that are pretty well-rounded, and if you don't like it, then that's okay. I'm also including a blank table where you can do your own research and figure out which plants fit into each of those categories, or if you want to change one here and there, or if it helps you to learn to just copy over with the handwriting, you can just, you know, use it as a place to take notes. (laughs) The next thing that's important to know about herb magic is where to get herbs, because there's a lot of different places, and you want to make sure that you're being ethical and uh, resourceful and sustainable, so you're not harming the planet or any people or yourself when you are looking for herbs. So I think one of the best places to get herbs is to actually grow them yourself. And you don't need like a huge garden or a backyard or anything like that. If you live in an apartment, you can grow herbs too. Lots of herbs do really well in pots. And in fact, I have a book coming out in next month. And in it, I share, um, I think there's 10 plants I listed that do really well inside. And I show you and I teach you how to 
create an indoor magical garden. So make sure that you check that out when that comes out. But um, there's lots of different plants that grow well inside and you can use them for magic as and, and for cooking. Many of them are good for cooking, so you can do kitchen witchery with them. But this do gardening or growing plants inside, this really gives you the freedom to use as much of the plant as you want. You can harvest the whole thing and grow it from seed again if you want to, or you can harvest just a couple leaves when you need them. And so um, it's really probably the most responsible way. But I do know that it takes time. It takes a lot of energy and effort to grow plants yourself. Um, in some cases, it might take a lot of outdoor space if you want to grow a lot of them or if you use a lot of plants. So it's not an option for everybody, in which case you can always, you know, harvest plants from outside. When I used to live in Portland, there was rosemary growing everywhere. So I would just, you know, and they were giant bushes, like huge. So I would sometimes harvest from like um, the city pots and things like that. You, you can, So if you live in a city, you can usually find some plants to harvest. Sometimes, depending on where you live, you might find something interesting um, growing. Here I find aloe a lot in the city planters. Um, nobody tell on me, please. <laughs> so, and then you can also go into wild spaces where these plants grow naturally. And then you really do need to be careful though, but you have to know the rules of different places when you go into wild areas. Some places it's not allowed to collect. You can't collect herbs or plants or rocks or anything there. So you have to make sure you know those rules. And then you also want to be responsible where you're not taking all of the plants that are there because then that plant won't have an opportunity to grow back and you'll harm that ecosystem. So um, usually the rule is one out of 10. So if you see, if there's 10 leaves, you can take one leaf <laughs> and you and you know there's obviously going to be more than 10 total but um but that's what you would do is you take just one out of 10 same thing for flowers i try to avoid taking flowers in wild areas because that's where the plant reproduces creates little baby plants so you don't want to prevent it from spreading its genes um especially if it's an annual if it's a perennial you know it, it grows back from the like we talked about before, it grows back from the roots. So it's a little bit more acceptable. And then, um, but you can, if you, if you need the flowers, then, you know, do what you got to do. And if you need the roots, that's obviously going to take the whole plant because the roots are what keeps it alive. <laughs> so even if you harvest off the whole top of the plant, usually it can grow back depending on the type of plant. But if you take the roots, obviously you, it won't grow back. And so you'll want to be really um, conscientious of doing that if you need a root of a plant. Like dandelions, it's usually okay because they're considered weeds in most places. I'm sure people would be very happy if you took the taproot of a dandelion out of their yard, um, but other plants aren't necessarily weeds, so you don't want to take those. Okay, so that's one is to do this wild har wild harvest or wild crafting, and um, one thing you can do as well is you can take seeds of the plants that you plan to take and plant them when you take the plant, but you have to be careful with that as well because plant um, seed mixes, they're not always pure and certain places require a certain level of seed purity. You don't want to be spreading noxious weeds into a wild area, so you have to be very careful with that as well. You don't want to be causing more harm <laughs> by um, planting something that's really not supposed to be part of that ecosystem. So. It's a lot to know when it comes to wild crafting. So if, if you want to do it, make sure you do a ton of research, more than what I've told you here. So make sure you're doing it the right way and not causing more harm. But um, it is an option. And even in the, when you follow the rules, 
there's just sometimes when it's not appropriate, like when I what, what I talked about before with the rules. But also, certain plants lose their magic when they're not harvested very specifically. So things like um, white sage is a very common example that's coming up a lot. It's a considered cultural appropriation to use white sage, especially if it's not harvested appropriately um, in the correct way, and it actually loses its magic if it's not harvested the right way. So kind of avoid those kinds of plants that are considered sacred to specific people. But something important to remember is that there are so many plants, 300,000, 320,000 different kinds, that there's always a substitute. So if you can't find a specific plant that you want to use, there's always something else that you can use because remember what's important is your intention and these are serving as an anchor for that intention in the physical realm. So you can use a different anchor. You don't have to use, always have to use the exact same plant. Um, obviously that depends on your culture as well. There's some times where it has to be a specific plant, but in most cases, in most witchcraft practices, it's usually okay to do some sort of substitute if you can't find a um, specific plant. So there's that, there's, there's growing the plants, there's harvesting them from the wild or from you know, the urban landscape or from your neighbor's yard if they don't mind <laughs> you getting their dandelions. But um, you can also buy herbs a lot of times in shops. There's online sources for herbs like Mountain Rose, Mountain Rose Herbs. I think that's what it's called. <laughs> totally just lost it, but Mountain Rose something, herbs, I think. Um, that would make sense. So there's online sources. There's also, you know, local stores. I'm sure there's an herbal store near most people, depending on where you live. Most cities have them. You can find a naturopath. They often have herbs that you can purchase from them, or they might need to subscribe or prescribe them to you. You can go to health stores, often have herbs. And metaphysical stores um, usually have some herb selection. Uh, you can sign up for like an herb uh, kit, you know, like a monthly subscription. The one that I have gotten is called Witch's Roots, and each month they send you a different herb and like a pretty image of it, um, a drawing, and then all these other things that are associated with that, and it really helps you to learn about that specific herb and, and they, uh, you know, all sorts of different things that will help you to learn about it, how to use it, really get into the spirit of that herb. So you can find some something like that if you're interested in herbs to get them delivered to you and you can learn about one at a time. Um, and you can find herbs in your grocery store. So you can use kitchen herbs that you would use for food, for cooking, in other types of witchcraft as well. So you can buy them at the grocery store, if, especially if you're on a budget, they're often cheaper from the grocery store. Um, it's still important, I believe, to ask questions. If you're in like a metaphysical shop or in a herb shop, they might know a little bit better about where those herbs came from than like the grocery store attendant. They might not know because it was probably just sent in with a shipment. Um, but I think it's still responsible to ask questions about how the herbs were harvested, where they came from, and things like that if you do have that opportunity. So those are all the ways that I could think of of how to get herbs. The last thing I wanted to talk about today before we end is how you can actually use herbs in your magical workings, in your rituals, and things like that. And so as I've mentioned, there are so many different types of plants that it's just incredibly versatile what you can do with them in terms of 
magic, but also in all sorts, all areas of your life. You can wear herbs, you can eat them, you can smoke them, you can do anything, basically. So I'm going to be only specifically talking about magical uses, but one could argue that everything you do is a, is a magical purpose. <laughs> um, my favorite way, actually, since we're talking about it, I haven't had any tea since we started, and I can feel my throat getting dry. So that's one of my favorite ways to use herbs is uh, drinking tea um, or herbal infusions if it doesn't actually have tea in it. Because tea is technically, if we're being technical, a tea is something that has the tea plant, Camellia sinensis. Um, I think that's how you say it. <laughs> But if it doesn't have any of the actual tea plant, a green tea, a white tea, or a black tea, then it is an herbal infusion, technically. But this is one of my favorite ways to use herbs for magic because um, I just like to drink tea all day. So that's, and I think it's really easy. It's one of the easiest ways to incorporate herbs into, into my daily routine and ritual. So if I buy a blend of tea made by someone else, sometimes there's some companies that are witch witchy and they sell teas. So they will tell you this is a love blend or this is a protection blend. But if you buy from something like Celestial Seasonings or a local company, like I buy from Plum Deluxe, which is based in Portland, um, they're, they, they are like magically inclined, but they don't necessarily list that this is like used for this magical purpose. So I will usually look at their ingredients list and whatever the first ingredient, that's kind of the focus because ingredients are listed from majority to to least to minority. So um, whatever is the most in the blend, that's going to be listed first. So I'll focus on that one and look up what the magical properties are, um, if any, and if I don't know them already. And then I'll see what the other ingredients might contribute. And I'll just write that on the packaging so that next time I'm ready to make a cup of tea or a pot of tea, I'll be able to go through and pick based on flavor and caffeine level, but also based on the magical properties. If I want something that's energizing or if I want something that's, uh, I don't know, opening or anything like that, I'll have already done that research when, it, when I bought it. You can also make your own tea blends. You want to make sure that the herbs that you use in your own tea blends are food safe and prepared for that purpose. Some uh, metaphysical stores don't necessarily have herbs that are prepared for food safety, so you'll want to make sure that they are, um, or that they come from like a naturopath or a grocery store instead. Um, but if the metaphysical store says they're safe, then you can trust them, I'm sure. And um, you can harvest your own and dry them as well in whatever way, and you can create whatever magical tea blend you want in that way. So I also like to use uh, herbs, I was going to say tea, but herbs in baths. And I guess it is sort of a tea that I make for baths because I'll just steep the herbs in boiling water in a smaller, you know, smaller container, fill the bath with water, and then I'll add the infusion after the bath is filled. And while I'm pouring them in, I'll just be thinking about my intention or chanting it or an affirmation or something like that. And then I can just soak all of that in while I'm bathing. <laughs> just let the water, as you soak in the water, you can just let yourself soak up that energy, whatever it is, whatever the purpose of those herbs is in this case. And you can make it a little bit more aesthetically pleasing by floating flowers on the surface. You see that on like Instagram and stuff. And it does feel nice to be floating in flowers or to be soaking in flowers. Um, and if you buy 
pre-made bath products like a bath ball or bath salts. Um, sometimes, again, there are witchy sources of these things and they might tell you this bath is good. I don't know why I can't think of any other purposes but protection right now, but <laughs> this bath is good for protection or uh, love or I don't know. Why can't I think of anything else? Psychic development, intuition. So whatever it is. And so there are witchy sources, but if you buy from a non-witchy source, you can do the same thing as what I was talking about with the tea. Just look up what the ingredients are and what their magical properties are and write it on the packaging so that when you're ready to take a bath, you know, okay, this is for whatever, love. <laughs> and I'll, This is for self-love or compassion or whatever it is. Um, you can also make oil infusions, or you can purchase these as well, but that's basically an oil that has been, um, has herbs soaking in it, and this is really easy to make. All you do is you put the herbs in like a jar or a bottle, and then you cover it completely with oil, like an olive oil or any sort of carrier oil that you might use with essential oils, like uh, almond oil or coconut oil, and then you have to make sure that they're completely covered though because if there's any left out you have to leave this for quite a while for the oil to infuse completely and if there's any herbs left out of the oil they'll start to mold so you don't want that um <laughs> so you kind of watch it as you go and if any herbs float to the surface just scoop them out or push them back down so that they don't get moldy <laughs> and then um you can use this infusion for anointing oils for different tools like candles you might you know, rub the oil on the candle and anoint it with that purpose of the herb, the different magical properties. You can, if it's an edible herb, like if you make a tarragon oil or a rosemary oil, you can use it for kitchen witchery, for salads and things like that. Um, so I go into more detail in that book that I mentioned about how to specifically to make this oil infusion. So I hope that you guys will be excited about that and learn about it in there. You can also, if you want to do it right now, you can find information online, of course. <laughs> um, so candle magic is another way to use herbs. You can use basically, like I said before, with the anointing a candle with the oil infused with herbs. But you can also just sprinkle the herbs over the candle as it's burning or before it burns. You can make a circle around the candle with rose petals or whatever the purpose is, choosing your plants accordingly. Um, if you make your own candles, you can put the herbs in while the into the wax before it dries and hardens, and then that infuses the wax with those herbs, basically. Um, but you can also do this, you know, in the wax once it started melting after you've lit it. You can put the herbs in the wax, and then it's in there. <laughs> so, um, so you can also make herb bundles for smoke cleansing. So you can. I, I like to make sure that the herbs are just like a little bit dry because if you don't let them dry a tiny bit before you wrap them up in string, um, they can mold on the inside and that's gross, especially since you're going to be burning it. You don't want to burn, you know, you're probably going to breathe in a little bit even if you don't mean to. So you're going to get some like burned mold, which sounds really gross to me and it might be dangerous. So you want to make sure that it's not... Um, too wet where it's going to get moldy on the inside. But don't let them dry out so much before you wrap them because if they're too dry then they start to be brittle. So I think it just takes a little bit of practice to know exactly where that is because all plants are different. You know you might think that you know exactly what to do with rosemary and then the next time you harvest it it's like oh no I'm completely different. So you kind of have to get a feel for it when as you practice with it. Um, but all you have to do is once they're 
the right amount of dry. You wrap them tightly together with string and then you let them dry completely before you light them and use it for smoke cleansing. I also explain this process in my book, so <laughs> lots to look forward to there. Um, and then you can include herbs in jar, jar spells, so where you have a jar and you put the herbs in it, or spell bags, charm bags, where you carry it around with you, like a talisman or an amulet. Uh, you can add them to pillows, so if you maybe want to sleep with a mugwort pillow to help you have more, like, psychic dreams or to lucid dream to help with astral projection and things like that. You can make a mugwort pillow or a lavender pillow, maybe a chamomile pillow to help you sleep. Um, so all of these different ways. There's Those are just a few different ways that you can use herbs. Oh, essential oils is another one that I didn't mention. So these are um, distilled plant oils from the plant. It's usually best to just buy these because it's such a process that and you need all these different tools and materials that it would be just silly <laughs> to do it yourself when it's so much easier to buy them. But if you want to learn how to do it, I'm sure it's really interesting. Um, but, you know, you can buy essential oils and use them in pretty much any of the ways that I've mentioned here, except for eating, because that is uh, it's such a high concentration of the oil that it's not usually good to ingest it, but you can, you know, use it on your skin. So, essential oils, really high concentration of an herb that you can use in pretty much the same ways that you can use um, any of these dried or fresh herbs that I've talked about. But witchcraft is creative. Like that's the main thing about witchcraft is that it's just all about creativity and coming up with new ways to solve problems. And so you might find that none of these ideas appeal to you and you would prefer to make makeup out of herbs or something like that or lotions or all of those are options as well, infusing your body products with herbs or creating makeup with dyes from herbs or um, I can't think of any other examples right now, but there's just so many different ways to use them that these are just a few that I like and you, I'm sure, will be able to come up with tons more that fit into your personal witchcraft practice. So. That is all that I have for you today. So um, thank you for hanging out with me. I'm going to just do a summary of everything we've talked about. We talked about why we use um, herbs in witchcraft as the anchor for the corresponding spirit energy into the physical realm based on millennia, you know, across time and space, humans relating certain plants to certain deities and certain plants to certain planets and certain plants to certain zodiac energies and all of these different spirit energies. Um, we can anchor it in the physical. And we also learned about uh, different plant parts and how all the different botanical and culinary words can in witchcraft be lumped into one one umbrella term of herbs. We talked about um, different ways to use the herbs and how you can incorporate them into your magical practice. And we talked about where to find herbs, how to source them. So growing them yourself, buying them either online or in stores locally, and uh, harvesting them from either a wild area or an urban landscape. You can find out more about this episode by going to mumblesandthings.com slash blog slash 016. And please join me next Tuesday when we will be talking about moon magic. It's going to be really fun. Now make sure that you subscribe so that you are notified about each new episode, including next week's episode. To help other witches find this show, it would be really 
amazing if you would please leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook to learn more about witchcraft. Uh, Mumbles and Things is the handle. And you can join us in the Mumbles and Things Facebook group, which is all about support and encouragement for witches. And you can chat about this episode with other witchy folks. Just go to talkwitchcraft.com. Wait, don't go yet. Thanks for listening to Talk Witchcraft with me, Maggie. If you've enjoyed this episode, I invite you to check out mumblesacademy.com. Mumbles Academy is the place to be for intuitive souls at any stage of their witch path. Whether you are a wildling at the very beginning of your witchcraft journey and are looking for a safe learning environment, a creator who is committed to your practice and wants to develop your witchcraft skills even more, or a sage who is full of wisdom already and wants to share what you know with others, Mumbles Academy was designed for you. With monthly masterclasses and live Q&As, an extensive archive of courses and trainings, and a supportive community to help you along the way with encouragement and advice, Mumbles Academy is the perfect place for you to be as you continue on your witch path.